Amen to that. Always one of my favorites. Well, hey, happy Valentine's Day. How many of you would agree with this phrase, the way to my heart is candy? Come on, nobody in the room? Okay, okay, I, I have a sweet tooth. Anybody else have a sweet tooth? Let's just put, okay, there now, now we're, now we're coming clean. Okay, good. How many of you would say, if you could choose from candy, because there's kind of a couple different categories of candy, a lot of candy floating off the shelves right about this time of year, as you can imagine, but how many of you would be like, if I had to choose, it would be all about the chocolate? Like, it's got to be, all right, hopefully you can catch here. Um, who else had, I don't think I can make it all the way to the back, but there we go. That was a pretty good throw, actually kind of blinded by the lights. All right, now, I'll be honest with you. There's another kind of candy that I, in theory, like I always want to, like, enjoy, and uh, it's always around this time of year. Uh, And I always pop one of these boxes open. I think, it's going to be good this time. And, uh, but it still just ends up tasting like chalk. How many, though, honest? You can be honest, okay? I'm, I'm one opinion. Who likes these things? These, like, sweet tart things. All right, I'm going to try to kind of throw that down that way. And uh, I thought I saw one maybe back here somewhere. All right, there you go. Uh, sorry about that. that. was a bad throw. Well, there you go. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, well, uh, it is, it is uh, my bad. So um, we, uh, as we're kind of heading into this Valentine's Day season, and really we've been in this series called Stranger Things, I just want to set up an idea for you today because God's love for us is fiercer than any love that we could imagine on earth. And so as we celebrate Valentine's Day, I love that the band has kind of decided to kind of shift this a little bit different direction to really key in on and highlight uh, God's love. And that is one of my favorite songs, King of My Heart, and this idea uh, that God loved us. And because of that, we have a choice to respond to him. He's given us this decision to respond. And really, if I want to define uh, God's desire for us is simple. I think that we could really sum it up in really two words, if you can see those words, if you can't. Uh, the words of God's intention for us is that we would be his, that we would to be mine. Now, uh, that invitation, I think, is also very much alive in a different way today, and I think that very much in the same way, we have the same invitation that entices us, and that's the invitation of the world that also says, be mine. And we have a decision to make, and really that's what this series has been about. We've been talking about what does it look like to really be God's, to make God, as we just sung about, the king of our heart, that we make this active decision and this decision over and over again, uh, that we would live our lives in such a way that it declares that and really confirms that. He is ours, Um, and we are his, and so we have that choice. And this series is all about how do we live in days and times when to be his is, is really unpopular. It's uncommon, and at times it's even unwelcome. So how do we navigate what we would call this post-Christian context that we've been living in for a while? How do we faithfully be gods in a secularized society that also wants us to devote our lives to the world? You know, the good news for us is that this is nothing new for God's people. Uh, We are covering a period of time where God's nation of Israel was taken over by the Babylonian Empire. And some remained as captives in their own country, while others, the best and the brightest, were taken into Babylon to be used uh, in various ways in service to the country. Now, Daniel was one of the ones who was of the best and brightest group, and he was forced to serve the king, uh, the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Now, if I'm just going to summarize the message, we're really going to kind of go through a lot of text here today, so just bear with me and hang on to whatever you can kind of in the middle of this, and uh, we're going to bring some things to the surface, because when we uh, decided we're going to talk about Daniel in a series of other stories, I was like, Daniel's a lot, like this is a big story, we could go kind of the easy route and just do like Daniel the lion's den, uh, but that's a little bit too expected, and there's so much more within this nine chapters, so we're going to cover nine chapters here in about uh, 30 minutes, so just hang on, uh, you're lucky now you got the sugar, because that's going to be important here in just a minute. But here's the message summary. In strange times and strange places, Daniel stood out. Daniel stood up. Be like Daniel. So we're going to look at some of the ways that Daniel stood out and Daniel stood up in an effort to understand how can we live like that? How can we make our decision to be gods in this time? So what made Daniel uncommon in his day? And the first thing is this. Here's the first distinctive that you'll notice in the story of Daniel. That Daniel resolved to retain his distinctiveness. Daniel resolved to retain his distinctiveness. Now, there was a lot of perks that came for, from working for the king. And the king took care of his guys in a lot of ways. And so when he was working for the king and he was one of the king's servants, he was one of the best and the brightest, he got to eat from the king's table, meaning he got some really, really good choice foods. Now, just imagine kind of the best of the best kind of spreads. And my question would be, okay, imagine just your favorite, all your favorite foods on the table now, would you be able to resist that? You're like, well, it kind of depends on what it is, right? Like a big juicy steak, maybe not, I don't know what it is for you. But what we see is when Daniel had access to all of the foods that he could possibly desire, here's what he decided to do in Daniel 1.8. It says, but that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So Daniel and his friends, they made this conscious effort to not consume the food they were offered at the royal table, the, the food that everybody else was consuming. They went their own way, and they're like, no, we're not going to. Now, there was nothing inherently wrong with the food, but there's a couple different reasons that they made that decision we're going to talk about here in just a minute. But the key word here is the word resolved, that they resolved to retain their distinctiveness. They resolved to be different in this sense. And so, I, I don't know uh, if, if you're like me, but I already admitted that I'm a sweet tooth. And I, I can't remember the amount of times over sort of like whenever this blurry time of COVID started and we were stuck in our house and we were all sharing bread recipes and cookie recipes and all these things. At some point in that year, I just like, I, I was like enjoying all of these things. We were eating all of these things. And I don't know the amount of times, I can't tell you for, for certain, uh, probably can't count it on two hands, the amount of times that Jess and I looked at each other and we said, you know, we should start eating better. Like, we should, we should, we should start, like, okay, next week, like, we should start, like, and then next week never came, and next week never came, and she'd come, and we'd just say, we said, like, yeah, we should start eating better, and she'd roll out some of her famous chocolate chip cookies, which she's perfected, by the way, like, I just, they're the most amazing, and every time, I'm like, did we not just say, and then, all, like, I, my resolve goes right out the window, and all of a sudden, I turn into the cookie monster, I'm like, mm, cookie, cookie, like, I love these cookies, so what I'm saying to you today is, there's a difference between saying, we should, I think we should, I wish we could, and saying, I will. And I will is really at the heart of resolving, right? Resolved is when I should or should not becomes I will or I will not. And so they, Daniel and his friends, resolved that they would not defile themselves in this way. Now, two things fueled their resolve. The first was this, they didn't want to assimilate. They were in a strange country, in a strange place, and they didn't want to 
assimilate to that culture. So the more that they ate like the Babylonians, the more that they had names like the Babylonians. If you remember last week, Stephen said that there was an effort to change their names, right? The more that they thought like the Babylonians, the more they became like the Babylonians. And so they, in an effort to retain their distinctiveness in God's honor and as God's children, they made a decision that they would not eat that food, that they would live different, that they would resolve not to have it. Now, if you, any of you watch Stranger Things, and I've, I watched some of it, and then I started having really weird dreams. I'm like, I, I, I got to stop, at least not before bed, but it was really kind of trippy. But if you watch it, you know there's this alternative dimension called the Upside Down, and so there's this portal that exists in this Hawkins City, and they can go down into the, the Upside Down. It's this strange place. It's really, as you determine really early on, that it's marked by evil. But in the show, what you find is that the longer that you spend in the Upside Down, the more the upside down starts to feel like the right side up. The more time that you spend in the upside down, the more it seems like the right side up. And I can't think of a better analogy than living in a strange time, in a strange place, and really living in the world. The longer that we spend here, the longer that we just assume that this is normal, that this is how it's supposed to be, but it's not. Romans 12.2 says, do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it, Without even thinking, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I can't think of a better picture of what we're facing today and really the decision that's before us today. So we have to think, if nothing is distinct about our lives, if nothing's distinct about your marriage compared to other marriages, if nothing's distinct about the way that we raise our kids, the kind of decisions that we make regarding our kids, about the way that you do your job, you're fitting into your culture without realizing it. So we should take an assessment of that. We should step back and we should stay vigilant, stay focused on God, resolve to be distinct. Now, it's not a resolve alone that carries us, right? It's by God's power, but we, God leaves that decision up to us to say, how much do you want it? How much do you want to live different? How much do you want to shine in your time? And David, or sorry, Daniel made a decision to be distinct. And the theme that we see in Scripture over and over again, and Jesus says it and talks about it, is that we're to be in the world, because we live in the world, right? But we're not of the world. Another reason that they refrained from the food from the table was that they were reminding themselves and demonstrating to others that they were not dependent on King Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, they were living in Babylon. Yes, they served the king, but they were not dependent on King Nebuchadnezzar. They were dependent on God. And it was God that sustained them. It was God that provided for them. And so it was an important way to remind themselves as they refrained from eating from the food from the table. And God did sustain them over and over again by his power. It says that when Daniel and his friends refused the food and drink, the official in charge of them was like, hey, listen, I know you guys want to have your little earth diet here, but I can't have you shriveling away because guess whose head is getting chopped off? It's mine. So finish your steak, and we'll talk about this later. You know, that was kind of the message from, and and Daniel's like, no, we're not going to eat it. In fact, he said, here, tell you what, let's make a deal. For 10 days, just give us vegetables and water and see how we stack up to the other young men around us. Now, I don't know if you've ever done a cleanse diet, 
I've done a cleanse diet or two, but at least for 10 days, I'm walking around like, you don't want to be around me. I'm cranky. I'm irritable. I'm like, I'm just, I, I'm, just, I'm just in this blurry kind of zone. So, okay, 10 days into the cleanse diet, and here they are, and you can imagine, okay, what's that going to be like? Surely they're not going to be anywhere as strong and as ready as the rest of the guys. But it says at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine, and they were to drink. He, he gave them drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. They remain undefiled, and their strength and value was found in being stubbornly distinctive. You see, Daniel was in Babylon, but he was not of Babylon. Second thing that stood out about Daniel was his understanding, as we just read about here, that he grew in understanding. He understood what was going on in the world around him, and he could understand things that nobody else could understand that were beyond everyone else's comprehension. Distinctive number two is that Daniel's wisdom was not his own. We read later in the chapter, into, into chapter 2, Daniel 2, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed about. Make some sense about this for me, guys. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had this dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Now, this was a really big ask. And not only was it a big ask, it also came with dire consequences if they failed to, to deliver on this. We read on, it says, the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. You thought your job was stressful, right? Like, your boss ran a tight ship. Can you imagine that performance meeting? Uh, yeah, so your, uh, your numbers are a little down here. So uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Um, we're going to chop you into pieces and burn down your house. You know, that's, imagine that. But they, they basically just had, here's the reply. They said, the astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth that can do what you're asking. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of a magician, enchanter, or astrologer. What they're saying is this is beyond our ability to pull off. Our human wisdom limits us from telling you what that dream is about. We do not possess the kind of understanding that you are asking for. Sometimes you have to appreciate that. You know, somebody's just like, oh, I, I don't know. You know, you're, well, we're going to cut you into pieces. I, I really, I don't know. I don't know the answer, right? Like last week we had this, and you know, meteorologist, that's a tough job. I, I just have to say, like, that's a really, really tough job. But it was like, you're going to probably get a dusting or like an inch or two. And then all of a sudden we're like, eight inches, it just keeps coming down, right? Like, where did that come from? And it's interesting because with all the radars, all the high-tech Doppler, all of their fancy modeling, right? Guess what? They still can't predict the future. They still don't know what's going to happen. Like, it's a pretty educated guess, but they don't know for sure. And I love how they responded on this one. Did you notice that what they called the storm? It was the overachiever storm. Like, obviously, like, no, we didn't have it wrong. It was just, it, it overachieved on us. You know, that's what, that's what happened. Now, who knows what's going to happen on this one, you know? Um, we're supposed to have, like, you know, two to, you know, 40 inches. I can't remember, but it's, it's going to be crazy. So hang on, get your bread and, and all that kind of stuff. But all the experts' money could buy, and none of them could meet the king's requests. So Daniel's like, 
yeah, knowing the consequences, hey, I'll take a stab at it. If you just don't kill those other guys, you know, and if you could not kill me too, that would be great. Uh, I'm more helpful to you alive, and so here, let me take a stab at it. So Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I mean, don't you love his reply there? Daniel's like, I don't know, but I know the guy who knows. You know, I don't know, but I know the one who knows. And I think that we would be wise to follow that example sometimes. Rather than knowing it all, I mean, as a society, as a cultural, and, and honestly, as individuals, we have to think, how many times do we just know it? Like, we, we're just chomping at the bit to educate everyone else because we know, right? But what if we took a step back from time to time, and you know what? My human understanding, it might be limited, I might not have a full enough perspective on this. We are far too reliant on our wisdom and experience, even sometimes when it contradicts God's. And instead of assuming that we are wrong, we assume God must be wrong, or his word needs to be revised or reinterpreted so it's more palatable or suitable for our situation. Rather than doing like, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who has the answers. The problem when we seem to know it all is that we stop doing two important things. One, we stop listening to the all-knowing God because we've all got it already figured out. And number two, we stop surrounding ourselves with godly people who are tuned in to the all-knowing God because we have it all figured out. So we stop listening. So rather than being the know-it-all, we need to be distinct in the way that Daniel is distinct. Rather than being the know-it-all, our effort should be to know the one who knows. And surround ourselves with others who strive to know the one who knows. You know, I don't need to know everything. It's tough for me sometimes. Like, I like to know what's going on. I don't need to know everything, though. I just need to know God. And he will reveal everything I need to know. Not always everything that I want to know, right? And not always in the time that I want to know it in. But if I seek to know God, God will give me everything I need to know. And the majority of that is already contained in the volume of the Bible. So back to Daniel. He reveals the meaning of the king's dream. Take some time to dig into that. I mean, that's all we could go 20 minutes on the dream, and it's a pretty crazy dream. So go dig into that a little bit on your own. But he is successful. The king doesn't have to kill him and the rest of them. It's, it's a pretty crazy revelation about some of the things that are going to happen into the future in, uh, in Babylon and beyond. Uh, but he reminds the king, after he gives this revelation to the king with this. He says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. So he's confident in it because it's from God. So he says, hey, listen, it's true. It's trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, after he had given the, the dream, he falls before Daniel, pays him honor in order that an offering and incense be presented to him. Then, then the, the, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and the revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery. The king is so impacted by this moment that he just falls on his face and gives glory to God. Now, again, that's not to say that he had a change of heart because you're going to see lots of other things he does later. That, but in that moment, he, he seems to recognize and acknowledge that whoever Daniel's God is, this God's the real deal. And this Daniel listens to God, the revealer of mysteries. And so God gets glory, all because Daniel made a point to know the one who knows. And as he continued to, to do this, as he continued to live this way, Daniel continued to grow in, in 
esteem and wisdom and in favor. Number three, here's another distinctive. Daniel found his strength in God. So this is the story we're about to talk about here for just a minute is the story that a lot of people think about when they think about Daniel. It's Daniel in the lion's den. Now, King Darius is now the king, new king, new ruling empire. The Persian empire is now in control. Daniel has continued to set himself apart and grow in favor so much so that Darius is like, listen, this is going to be my top dog. I'm going to make him the top administrator in all of the land. And as you can imagine, the other administrators are like, kind of like thinking, well, what about us? You know, like, why, why does he get to be the top dog? Why does he get to rule over? And so there's some resentment there. And what they do is they're trying to find something wrong with this guy that they can be like, listen, King, you know, uh, there's something wrong with this guy. It's kind of like on the episodes of The Bachelor, like where they're just like, they got to point out like what's wrong with everybody else. You know, I don't really watch it. My wife does and Sometimes I overhear it and roll my eyes and things like that. But it's just like it's all of a power to like undermine, like you don't know what's going on with that girl. Let me just tell you really quick while I have you here, you know. Um, so this is kind of what's had. They're trying to find something to bring him down, and what happens is they can't find anything. And so, like, we're going to set a trap for him. And so this trap that they set is that they tell the king, King Darius, that he should make a decree that anybody that prays to anyone else, any god, any ruler, anyone else, in this period of time should be thrown into the lion's den. So... They knew exactly what they were doing because they knew about this habit that Daniel had, this habit that Daniel, regardless of any decrees, was going to keep doing. And that was a habit of praying three times a day. And he wasn't going to let this little decree stop him from doing that, so he continues to pray. And the king was devastated when he found out about this, but he knew that he must keep his word. And so into the lion's den goes Daniel. And we read about that in Daniel 6, 19 through 23. And so the king is all nervous all night. And at first dawn, he gets up and he goes to the, the den to see what happened. And he hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, listen to this, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. We don't know Daniel's mental state down there. We don't know what was going through his head. There's a lot of things maybe at some point in time on the other side of uh, this life, we'll be able to ask him what was going through his mind in those moments. But what we do know is that he trusted God. It tells us right there in the scripture, he had trusted God. And if we know anything about Daniel, we know that he was a man of prayer. You know, after all, it was prayer that got him thrown into the den. It was ultimately prayer that got him out. I think we can mistakenly believe, though, that courage is just this absence of fear, that he just wasn't afraid, that I think any human being is going to be afraid you're, you're surrounded by a bunch of lions, right? Like, what are you going to do? Even a man of faith. And I think that we mistakenly believe it sometimes, that courage is just, some people have it, some people don't. Courage is just an absence of fear. But I've learned that courage is not the absence of fear, it's the presence of prayer. Or as Anne Lamott puts it, courage is simply fear that has said its prayers. I believe that those that stand out in this generation won't be those that are never afraid. 
Rather, those who have the ability to stare fear in the face because they've already said their prayers. Will we be that kind of people? Will we be a people of prayer in the way that Daniel was a man of prayer? Because when opportunities present themselves, and they will present themselves more and more, especially in strange times and strange places and strange days, there will be opportunities over and over again to stand up and stand out as God's child and for what you believe in. And it's ultimately not the powerful that will prevail. It's not the ones that have no fear. It's the prayerful. It's the prayerful that will prevail. Which brings us to point number four. Daniel found purpose in making much of God. You know, Daniel had acquired all kinds of power and influence over his days. Over the course of serving under the king and serving faithfully under the king, he had amassed a lot of power and influence and esteem, and he could have done a lot of things with that, right? He could have used it for his own gain. He could have done whatever he wanted, really, with it. Instead, he decided that he would leverage it to make much of God over and over again. I mean, dig into to this book, and that's what you'll see. Whether it was through his choices and living set apart or in his revelations and interpretations of, of things unfathomable or this crazy, uncanny trust that he had in the face of fear, over and over again, he used those things to point back to not Daniel, but to point back to God, to make much of God. Daniel's life and purpose were found not in himself, rather in making much of God. And Daniel consistently lives in such a way that says, don't look at me. Look at him. Look at what he has done. Look at how he has shown up in the middle of this. There was a pastor that uh, at a, a convention that we went to a while back, it was a pastor from Africa, and he had just done incredible things all throughout the continent, really, and, and helping people come to Jesus. And I just remember how humbly he stood before us all when he prayed. I mean, he could have just got up there and bragged about all the churches that he started or all the disciples that he had made or any of those things. But the line that he kept saying is, God, we want to serve you. We won't steal your glory. We won't, steal, we won't touch your glory, God. You know, and even a wicked ruler like Nebuchadnezzar and Darius couldn't help but see God through Daniel's life. And that's really impressive. And Darius, again, with his decrees, he says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Now, you can't force faith that way, but this is, this is his reaction. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel lived his life in such a way that screamed of God's goodness. The question for all of us to ponder is, what will we do with ours? What will we do with these strange days? If any of you watched Lord of the Rings, one, there's a great scene, really a great conversation between Frodo and, and Gandalf. And Frodo's kind of confessing that, you know, this is hard. I don't like these moments. I don't like these days. In fact, he says, I wish it, I wish it need not have happened in my time. I just I mean, feel like that. You know, I just wish this hadn't happened. I wish we hadn't had to deal with this year. I hadn't wish we, you know, it wasn't looking like this in our time, in our world, whatever it might be. We, we think this way sometimes. And I love how Gandalf responds. He says this, so do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given. 
call them strange days, call them unprecedented, call them what you wish. All you have to decide is what you will do with the time that you're given. My hope is that we decide to live lives that are set apart, to be distinctive, to be refreshingly distinctive in a time where that's not too common. I pray that we could live lives guided by the all-knowing presence of Almighty God, lives devoted to making much of Him, lives that just scream of His glory, lives that are ultimately devoted to and committed to just be His, to be His, that every day we'd wake up and we'd make that decision all over again and say, God, I'm yours, I'm gonna serve you, whatever that looks like, I wanna be yours. That's our decision. So I hope that that's what we decide to do with the time that is given. You know, when you think about it, maybe we're the strange ones after all, but I think that's okay. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you love us. Thank you for a reminder today that despite maybe how jacked up our our past has been or maybe where we're at today and if we're still struggling today and maybe we're beat up by the past however many days of our lives. Maybe we're feeling tired or worn out. Maybe in some ways some of us are like, you know what, I'm just ready to call it quits. I'm, I'm just tired of trying. Maybe for some of us, Valentine's Day stinks because we just feel unvalidated, we feel unconnected, and we we feel unloved. God, I pray that you would just whisper into our hearts right now, God, your desire for us, your invitation for us to be yours. Not because we have in some way earned that right or that privilege, but because you are just so good. You're so merciful. And so God, I just, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people today, that you would remind them of how uncontainable, unfathomable is your love. And God, that we could make the decision to serve you with the life that we are given. Even when it looks different, even when it might not make sense, even when others might be shrinking back in fear, God, that we could courageously step out in faith as we continue to serve you. And God, we want to do all that in effort just to show the world how good is your love. We praise you. We magnify you in the name of Jesus. Amen.